be seated. Friends, welcome so much uh, to RUF. My name is Sammy. I'm the campus minister here. And uh, we're doing a, a series this semester called Relationships Reimagined. And so we're thinking about how the gospel really does change the way that we do all of our relationships. And tonight we're thinking about how the gospel changes the way we think about singleness. And so we're using, if you've been with us, you know, we're using Beyonce as our guide. And, you know, this song is pretty easy. Here's what Beyonce says. All the single ladies, 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 all the single ladies. Now put your hands up and I'm not going to go from there. All right. Uh, So we're talking about singleness. How does the gospel change the way we think about singleness? And I think if you're if you're like me, uh, if you were if you were like me, I think singleness is this weird topic. Uh, it's this weird thing that maybe we don't know how to talk about. Maybe we're a little bit afraid to, to talk about. Maybe it feels like something that none of us want. And yet all of us in some season of life have. And so what I want to do is look at a passage uh, from 1 Corinthians. It's on your handout. We're going to be looking at 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 7, verse 25 to 35. That's Paul. If you know anything about 1 Corinthians, it's a messy church. And Paul is writing about all manner of things. And here he, he gets to talking about marriage and singleness. And here's what he says. He's now, he says, Now concerning the betrothed, I have no command from the Lord, but I give my judgment as one who by the Lord's mercy is trustworthy. I think that in view of the present distress, the church has been experiencing persecution. It is good for a person to remain as he is. Are you bound to a wife? Do not seek to be free. Are you free from a wife? Do not seek a wife. But if you do marry, you've not sinned. And if a betrothed woman marries, she has not sinned. Yet those who marry will have worldly troubles. And I would spare you that. This is what I mean, brothers. The appointed time has grown very short. From now on, let those who have wives live as though they had none. And those who mourn as though they were not mourning. And those who rejoice as though they were not rejoicing. And those who buy as though they had no goods. And those who deal with the world as, those, uh, as though they had no dealings with it. For the present form of this world is passing away. I want you to be free from anxieties. The unmarried man is anxious about the things of the Lord, how to please the Lord. But the married man is anxious about worldly things, how to please his wife, and his interests are divided. And the unmarried or betrothed woman is anxious about the things of the Lord, how to be holy in body and spirit. But the married woman is anxious about worldly things, how to please her husband. I say this to your own benefit, not to lay any restraint upon you, but to promote good order and to secure, and I think this is the key, to secure your undivided devotion to the Lord. Let me pray for us, and then I want to jump into just thinking about singleness tonight. Let's pray first. Jesus, we thank you for your word. We confess to you sometimes it's confusing to us. Uh, sometimes it feels so um, countercultural. It feels so weird. And yet, Lord, we know that you have preserved it for us that we might that we might know you, that we might know ourselves, that we might know your will for our life, that we might know what it means to be undividedly devoted to you, uh, that we might know our right from our left, wrong from right, that you would um, not just meet us and reveal yourself to us, but that you would reveal what is good, right, and true to us. And so, Lord, I pray that as we come to think about singleness tonight, that you would meet us in that way, that you would help us even as we think about maybe a topic that we don't want to think about or maybe we don't know how to think about, that you would meet us in this, in this place and do what you alone can do. You, are, you alone can work in us. You alone have access to our hearts, our minds, our innermost thoughts. And so, Lord, I pray that 
you would meet us in this space in a sacred and beautiful way. We ask these things through Christ our Lord. Amen. So let's think about that. So what is the worst, the worst birthday present you've ever gotten? What is the worst birthday present you've ever gotten? Mine was I just turned 18. I was about to make my way to the University of South Carolina. And for whatever reason, I think my mom would just was trying to be a good mom. But the present that she gave me that year was this. It was a set of monogrammed luggage. And can I just say as an 18-year-old dude, like that was, that was not what I was looking for, right? That was not what I was like, hope. It, wasn't, it wouldn't have made my wish list. Like, you know, mom, what I really want is a set of monogrammed luggage. You know what would make me feel like balling as I come to Carolina? A set of monogrammed luggage. But when I think about it, I think, I think about singleness because I think in some ways singleness feels like a gift that none of us want. Right? I'm going to guess tonight, and maybe that's not, maybe it's not true of all of us, but I think for a lot of us, when we come to think about singleness, it seems like this weird calling or weird gift that none of us would be like, yes, please, that's what I want. And then yet, Paul in this passage, he seems to offer us this different view. And the reality is for us, I already said it, the reality is this, all of us are going to be single at some point in our lives, at least for a season. And what I want to ask tonight is how do we go from enduring our singleness to actually enjoying it? To actually seeing the good in it. So that's the question I want to ask. And I think there are three things I want to do. First, I want to talk about what singleness isn't. Second, I want to talk about what singleness is. And then the last thing I want to talk about is what singleness does. So what singleness isn't, what singleness is, and what singleness does. First thing with me for a second about what singleness isn't. And here's how I think we typically think about it. I think typically we, we, we think that marriage is a blessing, but that singleness is a curse. And Paul in 1 Corinthians 7 is saying, no, that's not it. He's saying here really clearly that marriage is a blessing and singleness is a blessing. That they are both blessings in different ways. And the question for us is how in the world is singleness a blessing? And I just want you to think about it with me for a second. When you are single, there are things that you can do. It's what Paul is saying in 1 Corinthians 7. There are things that that you can do that you cannot do when you're married or when you're engaged to be married. And here's the way it works. I think when you're single, you have um, these three precious things that you can be generous with. Think about this for a second, because I think part of what we're asking tonight is how do you not waste your singleness? Well, part of it is there are these three precious things that as a single person, you really can be more generous with than when you're married. And here they are. First is your time. You know, I think about when I was when I first became a Christian, I'll never forget a pastor saying like what we're looking for in a leader is both teachability and availability. And I think when you're in a season of singleness, you have uh, you have more availability to give yourself to those around you. You have more time to give yourself to your community and the people around you. You know, I think about one of the most formative seasons of my life was right after college. Um, and it was this guy, Clark Bunham, and he was like a mentor to me. And as he met me, I had time because I wasn't, I wasn't married. I had time to sit with him and read books with him. And it hugely formed me and it formed who I am today. But part of what the, the gift of my single season was, was I had time to meet with someone like that who could mentor me. I think the second thing that you can be generous with is your gifts, right? That you have freedom in your singleness to develop and discover your gifts. Like I think about my wife, I think part of what's hard about marriage is my wife right now, both by virtue of being married to me, not because I'm controlling or anything weird like that, but also because we have four kids, she doesn't have time to pursue like one of her passions, which is photography. Uh, Photography is not something that she has time to give herself to and explore and develop that gift. 
Uh, John Stott, if you know him at all, he talks about he was a bachelor all his life, not necessarily by desire. And when he was reflecting on his life, he said this about it. He said, looking back with the benefit of hindsight, he was looking back at the end of his life, at his singleness for his life. He said, looking back with the benefit of hindsight, I think I know why. I could never have traveled or written as extensively as I've done if I'd had the responsibilities of a wife and family. You can give time, you can give gifts, develop gifts, but I think the third thing is you can give resources. You know, I have a friend who likes to tell me, he's a single guy who's really good with money, but he likes to say that the key to handling money is you tell your money where to go rather than asking where it went. But when you're single, you have more freedom, I think, to tell your money where to go. I think about the single people in my life who are just incredible supporters of RUF. And part of it is like one dude who does not make a ton of money, but he gives so much to our ministry. And I think part of it is he has the freedom to be generous with his resources. But I think Paul's big point is that marriage isn't better than singleness, that both are gifts from the Lord. And I think there's an article that I love that gets at this. It was written by Paige Benton Brown's her name. It's called Singled Out for Good. And listen to the way that she says it. It's on your handout. It's beautiful. It's just beautiful the way she says it. She says it like this. She says, Warped theology is at the heart of attempts to explain singleness. And here she, she kind of um, pushes back against some things that we often say. As soon as you're satisfied with God alone, he'll bring someone special into your life. As though God's blessings are ever earned by our contentment. You're too picky. As though God is frustrated by our fickle whims and needs broader parameters in which to work. As a single, you can commit yourself wholeheartedly to the Lord's work. As though God requires emotional martyrs to do his work, of which marriage must be be no part. Before you can marry someone wonderful, the Lord has to make you someone wonderful. As though God grants marriage as a second blessing to the satisfactorily, satisfactorily sanctified. Nope, can testify to that one. And then she says this, she says, accepting singleness, whether temporary or permanent, does not hinge on speculation about answers God has not given to our list of wives, but rather on celebration of the life he has given. Listen to what she says. She said, I'm not single because I'm too spiritually unstable to possibly deserve a husband, nor because I'm too spiritually mature to possibly need one. I am, so, I am single because God is so abundantly good to me, because this is his best for me. It is a cosmic impossibility that any thing could be better for me right now than being single. The psalmist confirmed that I should not want, I shall not want, because no good thing will God withhold from me. And the question for you tonight is, do you, if, you're, if you're here and you're single, looking to mingle, maybe? But before you ask, am I looking to mingle? The question I want you to ask is, are you content with the singleness? Are you seeing it as a gift to enjoy, not a curse to endure? And I think the better way to say it is the way that you think about your singleness has everything to do with how you think about who God is, who he is to you, what he's like to you, that he's not asking you to endure this season. He's actually inviting you to enjoy some of the freedom and the beauty of it. So first, singleness isn't a curse. But second, what singleness is, I think this is where it gets a little bit tricky. And the way I want to define it is singleness is both a choice and a calling. It's both a choice and a calling. I think Paul, as he's writing this, he has to have in the back of his mind Jesus' own words about singleness that come from Matthew 19, where if you notice a weird passage where Jesus, he's taught his uh, arguing, he's being argued with about marriage, and he starts talking about eunuchs. Eunuchs, if you know anything about eunuch, is someone who is, um, for one reason or another, essentially unable, castrated, unable to be physically with another person. And Jesus gives us weird, these weird kind of categories 
when he talks about it, he says some eunuchs are eunuchs because they were born that way. Some eunuchs were eunuchs because they were made that way. And some eunuchs were eunuchs. And I think he means this in the spiritual sense because they chose that way. Think about that for a second with me. Some are eunuchs because they were born that way. Sometimes the, the calling and the choice of singleness comes because maybe we were, we were born with a certain defect or maybe a certain orientation. And we have this inherent condition where maybe what Jesus is asking of us is to, uh, to um, is celibacy, essentially is a life of being content with the church and with him because we were born with a certain way or born in a certain condition. But what does it mean to be made that way? I think another way to think about it, he said they were made that way. You know, in ancient times, he's literally talking about castration, which is um, probably not, not a part of our culture. But I think there are certain circumstances that often make marriage a choice that we can't do or have. I think about there's a woman in a church I preach in often who uh, from a very young age, had to, had to care for elderly and sickly parents. And through that calling, she felt called to care for her parents in a way where she n- didn't feel free to marry. And then I think the last thing he says is there are some who chose that way. And I want you to see this is what Paul is talking about in this passage, is they didn't choose this out of selfishness, but they chose it out of a desire to focus more on the kingdom. And that's Paul. And that was Jesus. Uh, not for Paul's, in Paul's case, not because he was more holy, but practically he's saying it's an inherent choice because I want to be free to give myself fully in a way I can only do when I'm single. Now, the tricky part is how do you know, how do you know you're called to it? And this is where I want you to see as a choice. Calling is an interesting thing, right? Like I would say I am in ministry because I felt called to ministry. But when I go back to think about that season of my life, uh, I was just out of college. I had been working in youth ministry and I was trying to figure out what in the world to do with my life. And I had, as I remember it and as I felt it at the time, three choices. One was uh, to be, this is going to just sound weird, to be, I'm going to call myself a barber. It really was more like a hairdresser. I had a friend who, uh, <laughs> hairdresser doesn't sound very masculine. But if you know me, I'm not a super masculine dude. So that's okay. Um, but I, was, I had this friend who cut hair and made bawling money. And I was like, oh, maybe I could do that. Style some style some hair, be a, I was going to say a lady barber. Nope. Just be a barber. Um, and then I'd also worked this landscaping job and I had gone, I was engaged at the time. And so I'd gone to my boss and said, Hey man, I would love to like run a crew. And without, I think he was probably holding back laughter. He was like, he's like, man, Sam, you've been an incredible worker, but not, he's like, I think your gifts are in a different way, you know? And so then I started thinking, I was also thinking at the time about ministry. And so I sort of kind of, as I was growing in my desire for ministry, landed in seminary and going into ministry. But what I want you to see is that was a real choice. I chose ministry not because, uh, not simply because I felt called to it, but part of that calling is I felt like I I wanted it. And the the way I want you to begin to think about singleness is it's not this calling that the Lord's sort of going to put on you as uh, as if it wasn't something that you also wanted. Part of when we come to think about singleness, it is something, if you're called to it, it is something that you're going to desire at some level. You're going to look at, like when I talk to my single friends, they would say, like, I've, I've dated. I've considered marriage. And I don't think it's for me. I think the Lord is calling me to pursue a life of singleness so that I can bless uh, the people around me, bless my church. But it's a, it's a calling and a choice. I think about our hope in that. And this is the security that we have in Christ. It's a Psalm, Psalm 138, where the Lord says, the Lord will fulfill his purpose for me. 
And our hope when it comes to thinking about marriage or thinking about singleness, that is our hope. Like that is our security, that the Lord knows what he is doing in my life and he knows uh, what he wants of my life and he will fulfill his purpose for me. So first, what singleness isn't. Second, what singleness is. And then the last thing I want you to see is what singleness does. And I think what it does, if marriage is this beautiful metaphor of the love of God, of the love of God in spite of our flaws and the love of God in spite of our um, just brokenness, I think what singleness is, is it's this reflection of God's kingdom. That we belong to a king and we belong to a kingdom that comes before everything, that takes ultimate priority in our lives, that we should have ultimate allegiance to. Another way to think about it is when I think about who I am, my identity, the thing that makes the core of who I am isn't married or single. Those are just adjectives that add on to the, to the noun of what it means to belong to Jesus and to be a Christian. And I think that's what Paul's concern is, is in, in 1 Corinthians 7, is he's basically saying to us that seeking the kingdom— It doesn't mean neglecting, like in my case, it doesn't mean neglecting my wife or my kids, but it does mean there is a priority in the way that I do marriage and the way that I do all relationships where the kingdom is the ultimate thing. And I think this is where Jesus in Matthew 22, he's having another argument about marriage. And he says this thing that used to really bug just the mess out of me. Where he says, if you know this passage where he's taught, they're talking about marriage and what will marriage be like in heaven? And what if you've had multiple marriages? Like, what, what is that going to be? And Jesus says that weird thing where he says, in heaven there will be essentially no marriage. That in heaven, marriage will be fulfilled in him. That the good of marriage in this life will be fulfilled in an ultimate way as we're with God eternally. And I think that used to really, really bother me, if I'm being honest with you. And I think as I get older, I, I start to see that that is the point. And this is the point of what Paul is saying is part of married or single, our calling is we have a king and we belong to him and we have a kingdom. I think about it like this. I think about my favorite scene in Lord of the Rings where Sam, they've just survived Mordor and he and Gandalf are having that conversation. And Gandalf does that thing where he laughs and Tolkien describes it like, water in a parched land like music he hadn't heard before and then he says that beautiful line that you've heard me quote a million times i'm sure where he said where sam asked well all the sad things come untrue and i think that is part of our hope as belonging to jesus that all of the sad things all of the bad things as we belong to him that he not only works good but they will one day come one true he'll wipe our tears away he'll he'll fulfill our longings our loneliness But I think the other thing that Paul is saying here is it's not just that our sad things will come untrue. It's also that our good things will be fulfilled. And part of where contentment and the choice of singleness comes is really knowing that. Is really believing that Jesus is enough for you. That's the question, isn't it? Like, isn't the struggle of the Christian life Jesus not being enough? Like, that's where I live. Because Jesus often, I know he's enough, but because he's not enough in the way that I live and do life, I gravitate toward all kinds of things. And I make idols of all kinds of things. And it's easy, it's so easy to do that in a season of singleness. And why we want to endure it is we often make an idol of marriage and family. Right? We think, as soon as I find, we think with you know, Dean Martin, the old Frank Sinatra dude, you know, he would say, you know, he has that song where he says, I'm nobody till somebody loves me. 
And part of how we make an idol of marriage is we really believe that. But where repentance comes is to say there is already someone who loves you in the ultimate way. Who loves you in a way that no man or no woman can ever love you. Who sees every single one of your flaws and loves you and chooses you. And that's who we have. I'll close with this. Paige Brown, she finishes that article. It's really amazing. You should Google it and find it. I'll link it in the group me. Here's how she ends that article. She says this. Can God be any less good to me? I'll close with this. Can God be any less good to me on the average Tuesday morning than he was in that monumental Friday afternoon when he hung on a cross in my place? The answer is a resounding no. God will not be less good to me tomorrow either because God cannot be less good to me. His goodness is not the effect of his disposition, but the essence of his person, not an attitude, but an attribute. I long to be married. My younger sister just got married two months ago. She, is now an ador- she now has an adoring husband, a beautiful home, a whirlpool bathtub, and all new corning wear. Is God being any less good to me than he is to her? The answer is a resounding no. God will not be less good to me because God cannot be less good to me. It is a cosmic impossibility for God to shortchange any of his children. God can no more live in me apart from the perfect fullness of his goodness and grace than I can live in Nashville and not be white. If he fluctuated one quark in his goodness, he would cease to be God. Let's pray. Jesus, I pray that you would bring us to a place tonight where you are enough, that, that we don't just know that you're enough, but you really, you become enough for us. That you would be our life. You are our life, but would you be our life? In your death, we have forgiveness, but would you remind us of the forgiveness that we have? That in your, in your life and in your death and resurrection, we have all of the love we could ever need. And Lord, would you give us that love? Would you renew us in that love tonight? And would you give us that love for one another? Would you make us content? Lord, our hearts are so restless, but would you let them find rest in you tonight? And we pray these things for Christ in your name. Amen. We're going to close out by singing the doxology.